So good to be here this morning, and uh, am I echoing a bit? Yep, there we are. Thank you, that's a bit better. Um, yeah, Debs is not here this morning, um, and the um, reason I'm telling you is that is that Thalma, our eldest parishioner, was taken into hospital last night. Um, they're not quite sure what's going on with her, and um, so Debs spent most of the night there with her and um, is there now. So if you could to remember to pray for her, that will be amazing. And um, what an amazing sweet spirit in this place today. I, I just love the way that worship takes different ways uh, in, our, in our meetings. Every Sunday seems to be different, and that's just so wonderful to see our worship teams being led by the Spirit like that. And last week, how many of you were here last week? Yeah, good. A few. Well, I've got good news for you because you're going to hear a similar message again this week because most of you weren't here last week. And it's uh, rightfully so, New Year's Eve and all of that. And just with the two services, can I remind you too, if you want to come to both, you're welcome. You, you don't have to choose one. But um, we're just wanting to create space for God to grow us and, and have a different expression in the evening and the morning. And so I'm going to be speaking on the gifts of the Spirit. Um, what happened is, um, while I was praying for the start of this year, um, there's so many things. I mean, you want to kick off a, the year, and as a leader or the shepherd or of this flock, uh, I'm really always trusting God. Where do you want us to go? What is it that you're saying to us as a church? Because our responsibility as leaders and elders of the church is to lead and to feed uh, the sheep. That's the primary responsibility of what we do. And while I was praying about it and thinking of vision and all of the things that we could speak about and all of the things that are extremely important, um, I felt God... uh, 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 impress in my heart to speak on the fruit of the Spirit. And I thought, well, that's pretty strange as a visionary um, sermon on your first day. But I was praying into it because I clearly thought it was God speaking to me. It wasn't an audible voice, but I felt it clearly in my heart. And something re- really interesting happened. This Bible of mine, uh, which I've used for the last 20-odd years, uh, I couldn't find it. I'd put it away because our grandchildren were coming for Christmas, and uh, I didn't want to find pages missing by the end of the, the day <laughs> with coloring marks on it and all of that. You've got to meet my children, they're, my grandchildren. They're a real trip, that's for sure. <laughs> they can cause havoc very quickly. I think they got it from me. I don't know. But um, I found my, the original Bible. When I got saved, I got saved... In the early 80s, this is only the third church that I've ever been in, and one was because I moved to another place, and one was to plant this church here in Nanaimo, and that's in uh, 34 years, 34 years being in the same church uh, and with the same group, New Covenant Ministries, and, um, but uh, uh, my first home group leader, my first connect group leader, I went to the connect group. And he asked me if I had a Bible, and I said, um, no, <laughs> at that stage, i just become a Christian. And he gave me a Bible. It was a, 
New, uh, uh, NIV Bible, and uh, it was on my shelf. I have a whole bunch of Bibles in my office, and um, I saw it there, and I picked it out. I thought, let me see, because I always write in, in the Bible, see what I was thinking in those days, and I opened it, and as I opened it, with all the pages, not even thinking about this, I opened it, and the first verse I read was Matthew 7:20. By their fruit, you will know them. And I felt God say to me and ask me, what do we as Oceanside want to be known by? What are we known by? And that led me on a journey and obviously led me because of fruit to Galatians chapter 5. But this morning in the um, prayer, we have a prayer time from quarter to nine to 9.30, uh, 9.15, a half an hour of prayer. It's an amazing time. I walked in here a bit late because I was chatting to Deborah on the phone, and just the presence of God, we worship and we pray. And Paul had read this scripture from Colossians, and it just ties so much in. It's not in my preach, but I just want to, to read it to you again. And it's Colossians 3 from verse 12. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, that's you, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, with patience. Bear with the other, with each other, and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And I would love people when they come into, because often clothes play a big role in our part. How, how many know clothes are a good thing? I hope so. <laughs> Be a bit weird if we're all standing here naked today. But clothes are very important. And people look at, you know, see what people are wearing. And I, when people see us, what clothing, spiritual clothing, do they see? Do they see the humility? Do they see love? Do they see kindness and forgiveness and so on? And so we're going to speak on the fruit of the Spirit. Based on that, by their fruit, you will know them. One of the things, too, is I just want to encourage you. And I was thinking about this last night because... I knew some of you would have heard, it's totally different every week, no matter what you, when you preach the same uh, passage. But I just wondered how many of you that heard this actually spent time in Galatians chapter 5 going through these things. And this is not a uh, criticism because I don't know. But what I am saying is what God says here on a Sunday I've got to believe that whoever's preaching has heard God for you. First of all, for themselves. The beautiful thing about preparing for messages is I marinate in these for hours and hours and hours. Saturday, when I get all of my notes together and I, I put them into a sermon, is my favorite day. And it takes me the whole day and sometimes right into the night because I just get overwhelmed by what I'm reading and also in the context of applying it to my life. And um, sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. But if you come on a Sunday and you hear a preach and, and, and uh, 
just put it in your space bank and you never think of it again, I think you are actually missing out on what God wants to say to you. Because God is a God of individuals. God speaks to every person differently. And every single one of us today have different lenses on. And we see through the world through those lenses. If we have lenses of love, compassion, mercy, that's how we see it. But if we've got lenses of unforgiveness, hurt, bitterness, and resentment, even the nicest thing said to you feels terrible because of the lenses that we see through. And God wants to change those lenses. God wants us to see us as he sees us. When he started in Colossians, and he said, all of you clothe yourself with compassion and so on. But he says, my dear children, holy and dearly loved. Holy and dearly loved. Not because of a righteousness of our own. And I'm studying uh, Romans and I'm going to do a series on that uh, soon. The righteousness of God, justification by faith and all of those wonderful things. But that's how God sees you. Because he sees you in and through Jesus Christ if you are a Christian. But in Galatians 5 from 13 to 26, now Paul is dealing with the whole issue of um, uh, people coming into the church and bringing law back into the church. And, and this book is more than likely being misinterpreted and misunderstood more than any other book. Because many people interpret Galatians as a license to sin. It's totally not that. Yes, we're free, and yes, we're in grace, but Paul is addressing a deal in the church where people, religious people, um, Judaizers, as they were called, were coming to the church, and they're saying, to be saved, you need Jesus plus, plus, plus. You need to do this stuff. And that totally negates uh, the book of Romans, for sure, that type of thinking which Paul wrote. Um, but, and one of the things is they were demanding that uh, Gentiles be circumcised. So that's, uh, you'll read a lot about that in the beginning of this chapter, if you go and look at it this week, Galatians 5. But he says, he carries on, and I want to pick up on verse 13 to 26. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Now, this is the warning. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh or the sin nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, Watch out, you too will be destroyed by each other. And I have the privilege of traveling quite a bit and overseeing a number of churches um, uh, in Canada and, and various places. And it's so often that you go into a situation, and it's happened here more than, on more than one time in our 20 years, where division and dissension creep into the body of Christ. And not only destroys the person you talk, but it destroys all of us. So we need to 
love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And the key to, to doing that is verse 16. He says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If the f- desires of the flesh are overwhelming your desire to serve and love God, then you are not walking by the Spirit. And this is how God speaks to me when I prepare, and I've got to look in the mirror and, and see where I'm in these two. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are at war with each other. They're in conflict there. I like my old NIV 1980 version. It says, at war. But stronger than in conflict with each other. So that you do not do what you want to do. How many of us go around doing things that we don't want to do? All of us, I suppose. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And what Paul is making here, because people will say, well, because we're under grace, there's no law, I can do what I like. That's a life from the pit of hell. And those who do that, we will see, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul is making the point that those who are led by the Spirit are no longer under the law of Moses. Namely, He's dealing with circumcision, but are under the law of the Spirit and the law of love, the law of love, the higher law. Matthew 22, Jesus is um, uh, speaking, and a Pharisee comes and tries to, and challenges him, it says. This is the story of the Good Samaritan, if you read the whole thing. And he asks this. Of Jesus, which is the great, greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And he says this Jesus, all of the law and the prophets hang on this command. In Galatians 5 19 20, we carry on. We'll get back to love, because it's very important. It's, we've just read in Colossians, it's love that binds everything together in perfect unity. Colossians 5, 19 to 20, talks about the acts of the flesh. And this is what they are, sexual immorality. It is not good, it is not allowed by God. Jesus died to set us free from all of these things. God was so, God so hates sin for two reasons. Because, number one, it destroys our lives, his prized creation. And number two, it destroys relationship with God. Because if, you are, if we are doing these things, and God brings or wants us to go into his presence, we go sort of back-footed. We're not quite sure of this relationship. And yes, Jesus died to, to save us from our sin, but that was the beginning. That was the reason. But the reason he did it was so that relationship destroyed by sin could be, um, could be um, re- reconciled to God, our relationship. 
These are pretty hectic. Impurity, debauchery, idolatry, idolatry and witchcraft. And we have um, a prism on which we grade sin. In Romans chapter 1, it talks about, this, uh, it, it addresses a number of sins, the sins of the flesh. Go and read them. And those are what we would call self-indulgent sins. They gratify this, the sins of the flesh. But in Romans chapter 2, it talks about the sin of the self-righteous. And you go and see, go and read those two, looking at the sins of the flesh, self-indulgent sin, and self-righteous sin, which is the spirit of the Pharisee. And we somehow think that self-righteous sin is at, a, is at a lower level of sin than self-indulgent sin. And I want to show the, you, you that in this. Because we've done all of these things which is self-indulgent, sexual immorality and debauchery, but there's another type of sin that is in our heart that we don't often deal with, and that's the sin of hatred. We wouldn't say, I hate you, or maybe some people we would, but hatred, discord, which is creating discord in our lives and in others, jealousy, jealousy. These are not in a, uh, a thing of importance, they're all the same. And they all result in the same consequence. Fits of rage, selfish ambition. When our business, when our life, when I mean my, my selfish ambition gets bigger than God, it's an idolatry because it replaces God in our lives. Now please come back next week. <laughs> <laughs> it just is what it is. Idolatry. Idolatry that is that anything that takes first place in our life other than Jesus Christ. We worship our jobs. We can worship our families. We can worship every, everything without even knowing it. But Jesus reminded the church in Ephesus with this. You've done all this stuff, but you've forsaken your first love. Fall in love with me, and the first fruit of the Spirit we'll see is the agape love of God. Dissensions, factions, and envy. They keep us biting each other and destroying each other. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Now I say, well, I'm not going to go to orgy, but... I have these other things, ambition, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, hatred in my heart. And Paul gives a warning. I warn you as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I think that's self-explanatory. This is serious stuff and it has huge consequences and we're going to get to the good stuff. Why are the acts of the flesh so dangerous? There's a few reasons, and a few that I put down is because they destroy the freedom we have in Christ. Go and read that. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We are no longer under the yoke of slavery, the slavery of sin, the slavery of condemnation, the slavery of hurt, all of that. It robs us of our freedom in Christ. 
They prevent us from being led by the Spirit and create huge internal conflict, which makes us judgmental, miserable, and fill in the dots, whatever you want. Because we just read in Galatians 5, 17, that the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are at war with each other so that you do not do what you want to do. And when you do not do what you want to do, what you should do, it creates huge conflict in your heart because the Holy Spirit conviction is upon us. We can run away wherever we like, but we can never run away from the presence of God. And if we have the Spirit of God living in us, I don't care how much fun you think in there, partying like a rock star, or doing what you go home and you lie in your bed. If you still got a conscience, the Holy Spirit will prick that. If you having an affair, if you if you are chasing things you shouldn't, if if you've put anything before God, your life will be empty and there will be no freedom. Now, that's the bad news, but the good news is Jesus came to set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has said. And you see, if we don't dealt with the huge consequences that they prevent us from inheriting the kingdom of God. Now, what does that mean? You go and study it. What does it mean? Find out for yourself. And in a few weeks' time, I may tell you. You can tell me if I'm right or wrong. But the fruit of the Spirit, okay, that's all behind us. Because that's not where we live. That's not where God wants us. He wants us to be led by the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit are amazing. We'll break them down a little bit as we go. Love, joy, peace. How many of you want that in your life? What does the world want? Love, joy, peace. They're crying out for it. Uh, Leonard Skinner, I, I, I don't know him. I've never listened to him. No, I'm sorry. But Leonard Skinner, <laughs> I saw a T-shirt that he had on, and it said, Peace Through Guns. And that's what the world thinks. Isn't it crazy that we'll start wars to get peace? How crazy is that? We have enough nuclear weapons to destroy the world over and over, and we think that that will bring peace. The world is crying out for peace, but they're looking in the wrong places. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, because it's the law of love. Remember the higher law? It's a law of love. And he says, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This love, the first fruit, is a love that is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Romans 5 tells us. Poured into our hearts. But if we're not spending time with God and we're not allowing to pour it in our hearts, our love tanks will always be empty. And then we look for that love in the flesh because we want to fill that gap with something. 
And God says, come to me. Come to me. I want to fill you. You see, it's a love that is always received by faith, and it is never achieved. The world system, and many of us grew up with parents where love was conditional to our behavior. Now, this is not to say that bad behavior is good, but God loves us unconditionally. He says he disciplines us because he loves us. Go and read Hebrews 12. He disciplines us because he loves us. But it's received. It's an unconditional gift for anybody. It doesn't matter how far you've gone from God. It doesn't matter what you've, you've uh, done. It doesn't matter where you are. If you confess your sin, John 1, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. God is love. God loves you unconditionally. doesn't matter where you come from or what you've done. He doesn't love you for what you do. He does not love you for what you do. He loves you for who you are, and that is a child of God, if you're born of the Spirit. You see, it's a love that Paul talks in, in Ephesians 3, 17, that surpasses our natural understanding. It's an amazing love that... that that um, fills us to the full measure of God. Go and read it there. A love that empowers us to love one another unconditionally. And to love unconditionally is to seek the highest good of others above ourselves. Is that what Jesus did? He didn't have to go to the cross. He did because he had our best interests at heart. In 1 John 1, 4, the Apostle John, near the end of his life, the Apostle whom Jesus loved, Apostle that had the revelation of the book of Revelation, an amazing Apostle that understood the love of God maybe more than most, says this about it. This is love, not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since we so loved, God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. It's an eternal love for those in Christ Jesus that guarantees that no matter what comes our way, we can never, ever, ever be separated from the love of God. Famine, hardship, persecution, sword. I'm convinced, he said, that none of these things, Romans 8, go and read it, nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing, nothing, nothing. We need to be secure in that. Otherwise, we live, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. You see, when we fall in love with him, Jesus' love language is obedience. He said, if you love me, you obey me. And I've said this over and over and over, that if we love somebody, we want to obey them. That's what he's saying. Fall in love with me, spend time with me, let my, pour my love into your heart by my spirit, 
Let me reveal yourself to me. Come into an intimate relationship with me, and you will want to obey me. Not because you have to. And when you want to obey me and you don't, I've paid for it anyway. So don't start coming. You will want to obey him. I will want to please him. He talks about first love, and and you can say that in any relationship when it starts off, that spark and that first love, and man, you just stay up all night, you'll walk through the snow, you'll do anything to see your loved one. And then what happens? Life. But if we don't return to our first love in in our personal relationship with our wife or our husband, we get into trouble. And even more so when we forsake our first love, Jesus Christ, because we cannot even love ourselves, we cannot love our wives, and we cannot love anybody else outside of the love of Christ being shed abroad in our hearts. And if we're not allowing him to fill our love tanks, we're running on empty. Every night I get a little bit of love, but then ah, ah, off I go. You see, love holds everything together. And it is accompanied, comes accompanied by the fruit of joy and peace. And this joy and peace comes from trusting in Him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, Jeremiah 29. In all your way, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your way, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. Even when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, I trust you, God. Even when things are falling apart, I'm going to run to you, God. I'm not going to try and get my sticky fingers in here and fix it because I'll mess it up more. I'm going to come to you, Lord, even when my life is falling apart. You hold it together, Lord, and I'm going to run to you, and I'm going to trust you. And if you keep on saying that, a peace will come regardless of the circumstance changing. We want the circumstance to change for peace to come, but what happens when the next circumstance starts tomorrow? Ah, gee, I'm glad that's over. Well, what's going to happen tomorrow? I don't know. We have no guarantee that we'll be able to come to the next service next week. Stuff happens. But if we trust God, if our trust is in Him, if we've kept our feet on the rock, it doesn't matter what happens. Because the peace can, because God, I trust you. I don't understand this. I don't like it. You see, we begin to trust in an inner joy that strengthens us when you're weak, that comes upon us. And I was thinking of this, and Joy, can you stand up? I, come here. Come here. When I think of joy, I think of this beautiful lady. She has been through so much. Cancer, many things. And walking her through as a pastor, often from a distance because others are involved, and seeing she never lost her joy. And her mom christened her joy. And often, and there's many others, I'm just, because Joy's name's Joy, she was a good example, okay? (laughs) So don't feel bad about it, eh? 
Unless you want to be here till tonight, to me, I'll have you all up here and we'll say something nice. But joy, joy, I saw that, I'd ask her, losing all her hair, going through all of this kind of stuff, not knowing the answer. She never stopped smiling. She never stopped praising God. It was overwhelming. I saw that in my wife through through two transplants where she was left for dead many times. Uh, uh, Her liver was destroyed by a parasite that we got on mission work in Asia. Not from drinking and all of this stuff. You say cirrhosis of the liver, everybody wants to run it. And I'm saying even for that, God is faithful. Not judging people that have got it from that, but through that, a joy and a peace. And we can have it. Hey, Joy? Absolutely. You want to say something? I do, Mike. Um, Good. I thought so. <laughs> okay, I'm going to pull up a chair. Uh, Joy's going to pull up the chair. <laughs> no, that's um, good. No, please. I'll pull up this chair. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And um, I'm going to share something that really speaks to what you're saying. And about stepping up, because this is about the future of Oceanside. We have so much training through the School of the Bible and everything, and sometimes we just kind of sit on the training. And I was asked to lead the choir for Christmas Eve. I have never been a choir director in my life. But I say this because in the moment I was asked, I knew it was the Lord saying it's time. His time, not my time. And I knew I didn't know how to do it, but I realized that had nothing to do with it. And so I came, and just like it says there, joy, the joy of the Lord is my strength, and will bring peace, and our talents will be used, and he will choose them. We don't have to know what they are. And as I stood up there, and my hands were flailing, and I could tell people were wondering, really? (laughs) Really? Do we have to live through this? But I knew because one thing that the Lord has given me in amazing amounts is faith and sometimes I forget that it's not the same amount in other people so I knew it would turn out but what I didn't realize is that it was testing everybody else's faith (laughs) (laughs) and really at one point in the dress rehearsal when Mike said look you guys if you're not gonna look at joy why do you even have her up there and that's when I knew this is really testing people but I also knew that the Holy Spirit would unite us for good. And so I want to say this, that when I say give the glory to God, it's so true because people said, oh, it's just her natural talent. Oh, it's just her natural joyfulness that got her through cancer. Or it's her natural this or that. No, it's not. It is the Lord's hand. It's not natural talent. And if it is, it's supernatural. Okay, so... Yeah, I just want to say that I haven't had a chance to say that the Christmas Eve service was so amazing to me because I knew the Holy Spirit was managing everything. Because if I was going to be directing that choir, the only thing that was happening is that the Holy Spirit was here, guiding it all. So 
And then when people say, well, how do you give the glory to God? And I say, well, you say to a friend, oh, my gosh, you should have seen how the Lord rocked that choir director on Christmas Eve. <laughs> really? And give it away like that? Really? Oh, joy. Oh, oh, she's just out. No. The Lord's presence. But what's so great is it didn't just bless me, it blessed others. And you never know who you're going to reach. Because I prayed to be on this stage, but I... I would have never picked choir director. It wouldn't have even crossed my mind. I'm not qualified in the world of today. And then when a lady came up to me after and said, I know how I can be on the stage next year. And I said, how? And she said, I can be the one that goes for people to stand and <laughs> for people to sit. It was great because it opened up a whole new possibility for somebody else in an area that they didn't think would be there. And, and then the other part of it that was amazing because of my health is I have to rest a lot, bed rest. So it was amazing that the Lord orchestrated it, that I got to lie in bed, listen to the rehearsals, tapes for two to three, four hours a day, and crochet, and rest. Perfect, perfect design for me, not the one I would have picked. Okay. So the Lord really, the joy of the Lord is our strength, so faithful. But then we learned too, because I trusted him with health. He's healed me from cancer twice. But then I realized, really? You trust him to bring you back to life twice? And you wouldn't trust him with your money? How crazy is that? So what I started to see is the other areas of life where I'm not trusting him. He's brought me back to life twice. How could I not have that permeate every other area of my life? Very good. Wow. <laughs> Amazing, eh? See, it truly is a joy that will sustain us through our trials. Nothing else. James speaks of it in James chapter 1. Straight shooter James. That book, I tell you, I'm glad he wasn't my lead guy. <laughs> you ever saw the church in Jerusalem? I actually wish he was my lead guy <laughs> on some stage. But he says this, consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever everything goes so well for you, when you get an increase, when you get a new job, when God heals you, consider, oh, so wonderful. No. Whenever you face trials of many kinds. There's a gospel that's been preached, a prosperity gospel, that is deceiving people. God wants us to prosper. He wants us, but Jesus said this. In this world, you will have many troubles. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And God can bless us in many ways. But when we look at the sole blessing that God gives us as material blessing, what happens when that goes? And it can go overnight. If that's what our faith is built on, Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, I've forgotten the verse, that the goal of our faith is the salvation of our soul, not stuff. God blesses us, he gives and he takes away. 
but can we have joy and peace in that through that journey of Psalm 23? Past the waters through valleys of shadows of death. Will we trust him and have joy? Because the know, you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking in anything. Could preach on that, but we don't have time. A love, a joy, and a peace made only possible through Jesus Christ. This is a key. We look for all of those in the wrong places. We're trying to fill that vacuum of love, joy, and peace in many things, and some of them are more lethal than others. When Deborah was going through the trials, at one stage she was in 49 days, um, almost on life support. There were many other people in that ward, in Vancouver General. Uh, she had had three operations over that time, two transplants and another operation in that time as things started failing and, and going on. It was chaos. But my family and I, and Kim, my daughter-in-law, she's the one in my family here today, was there through that. And we just trusted in the joy and the peace of God. And because I was there for three months nearly, I had to move there. And walking around that hospital all day, every day, it gave me an opportunity to pray for others. And it gave me an opportunity to have compassion on others that don't know God, that are going through the same trials without God. Imagine going through your life without God. That's the world. And we need to show them and tell them and, and about the love, mercy, and grace of God. Because that's what we draw on. And I see people with no hope. I was able to, to minister to many of them and reminded me, God, I don't know how we could ever have come through this or joy or any of us without you. C.S. Lewis writes this, and the, the typo there, God cannot give us true love, joy, or peace apart from himself, because it does not exist. It's non-existent. It's an illusion. There is no such thing. Some are asking for God's peace without having God. It is not possible. True peace was lost when man chose to live apart from God, and only Jesus can restore it. Romans 5, 1 to 2. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace through God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And with the fruit of love, joy, and peace, we create an environment for the next three fruit to be, uh, um, to be cultivated in our lives. The fruit of patience. I'm just going to give you an overview. I want you to go study and pray these things for yourself. Ask God for them, uh, for you. Patience. which the best definition I found, and I looked at many, is simply self-restraint in the face of trials 
pressure or provocation. What happens when your toothpaste tube is squeezed? What comes out of it? Toothpaste? Or maybe something stuff that you don't want to put in your mouth? What happens when we squeezed? And if it does happen and stuff, don't get under condemnation. Go to God. God, I need to deal with this anger. I need to deal with this. I need to deal with these things. Why is it that I react all the time? Why aren't I responding to the situation, to my wife, my children? What is it, God? And then I have a good day, and I come home, and hey, I love my family, I love my kids, it's all cool. Next day, it's trashy. And my family and my kids are thinking, is this dude schizophrenic or something? He needs help. Because it comes from God. And if we're not digging that well, I can counsel you, I can do whatever I like, or you can counsel me, it will not change anything. Because God is not a God that is into secondhand revelation. My revelation cannot be yours, and yours cannot be mine. Revelation has a shelf life if it's not yours, secondhand. Because the moment a trial comes, if it's not in us, it's gone. And don't worry about it if it takes a long time. Just go to God. Don't worry about it. God, I lost it again. God, I did please. Just go to the source. Get help. Get people to pray for you. Fall in love with Jesus. Be honest with God. I love David. Do you know what I love about David? He was so honest. God, I hate these people. Please kill them. <laughs> In his beautiful Psalms. <laughs> Destroy them. But you are God. You are alone. I love. Have mercy on me, O oh God. And God with a big smile on his heart because he loves honesty. God, I'm struggling. My marriage is struggling. I'm struggling in all of these areas, and I'm just going to put on a face, and everybody thinks going to think it's all right until it's too late. Instead of coming to God, God, I need you. Getting people around you that love you, that can help you and encourage you, but they cannot walk your salvation out, and you cannot walk theirs. You can walk alongside. Kindness. It simply means treating people the way you would like to be, them to treat you. And kindness is self-fulfilling because we reap what we sow. We want kindness, be kind to others. God cannot be mocked. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 9, a man reaps what he sows. I think it's there. Mark will correct me anyway. Treat people the way you would like them to treat you and see. Have some restraint and see. Goodness. Goodness includes generosity. Doing good to others. Sharing what we have. Simple. They're not... We don't even need a prophetic conference to... Explain these things. Faithfulness. What does that mean? Being constant, loyal, stable, dependent, 
dependable, steadfast in keeping your word, no matter what. And if you're not that, go to God. Just a little beef is when people come and say, I want to volunteer for this, I want to do, volunteer for that, and I understand stuff, but when the going gets tough, just trust God. Be faithful. Be faithful. And if it's really too much, sure, they will help spread the load. Be dependable. Self-control. Self-control in the Greek, Hebrew, and Latin means self-control. Control yourself. Control yourself. Control our physical, emotional, sexual desires. Control ourselves. If we're struggling in an area with pornography or anything what it is, you need help, and we will help you. But you've got to ask God, God, as I fall in love with you, you see it starts with love. If you don't love God, these all become a list that we tick off. But if we fall in love with God, we know he's not angry with us. He's rooting us on, come on, come on, let me help you through this. But these are the fruit of the Spirit. And against these things, there's no law, because it's the law of love. You see, we need to know and understand that fruit of the Spirit can never grow without Jesus Christ. And that takes us back to John 15. Go and read about the vine, the father, the gardener, the vine and the branches. Go and study this for yourself. If you are, not, if you are living in the flesh area and not in the spirit area, or both, like many of us are, and I have and, and so on, and I'm walking through that myself just to make sure that I'm connected to the vine. How much time in our daily lives do we give Jesus Christ? As a pastor, when I can prepare, I love preparing, but when I'm, I go to the buzz with all that noise, hey Rob, and I sit there in the corner, it's going, wah, wah, wah. Deborah, how can you do it? I can't even hear it. Believe you me, someone taps me on the shoulder, I get a fright. I think I'm the only person in the room. I get so zoned in, but preaching is God, what can I share with the people, what can I share? And God saying, what about you? What am I wanting to say to you? Am I coming to my Father in the daily? Father, give me daily bread today, the bread of life. Give me this day my daily. Go and pray through the Lord's Prayer. It's a dangerous prayer because when we say your kingdom come and your will be done, God will take us at our word. But God, what is your will for my day? Lord, will you provide? Forgive me. Deliver me. All of that. God, I want to hear from you. God, I want to turn my receivers on and hear from you daily. If we are not going to do that, church, I'm telling you, we will always struggle in these areas. As little as 15 minutes to a half an hour. It's not a religious thing, and sometimes we can't do it. If you can do it. I'm telling you, you, our wells will run dry. 
And then we have to do church in the flesh. Then we have to worship in the flesh. Let's get more stuff. Then we have to do this and do this. And we can go to sermon.com and, and download sermons. And we can play the game. And nobody will even know. Interesting. The Holy Spirit was lift, lifted off, off Saul by Samuel. Uh, through Samuel's word from God. And was placed on another. And people still followed Saul for 15 years. Trying to kill the one that God had anointed. They didn't even know it. Why? Because Saul was gifted. Saul was a tall guy. Saul had it all together. And we can do Christianity like that. We fool each ourselves. We fool each other. But we're not fooling God. And elders in this church, you better be getting into your word. You better be spending time praying. I better be. And from us down. Because if we're not doing it, why would anybody else? I'm the vine, you're the branches. Remain in me, and I in you, and you will bear fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's about halfway. And I'll stop there. Because I think God has spoken. And guys, if I could have the worship team. If this comes through condemnation, I ask you, truly, with the fear of God in me, to forgive me. But I cannot go, and I don't want us to go for myself in this church to be where we are at the end of this year where we are now. And we often judge the success of the church by how many people in the seats. So we could say we had 200 at the beginning of the year, and we've got 400 now. We had a good year. Who says? Who says? You know, honestly, <laughs> I do. God blesses us um, to go to many nations. I, I don't know why. I still don't know why he chooses to use Deborah and I as he does. We never ask. We never advertise. And we never invite ourselves. And yet, Australia, New Zealand, North America, South Africa, Canada, requests coming all the time. And I'm thinking, God, I'm just not going to be proud. Please don't hear me. I said, why? Why? So I'm not trying to say that I've got it all together. But we need to understand, church, if we're not going to dig these wells, because that's why... The church will be known by their fruit, not by their numbers, not by their building, not by anything, but by their fruit. And how do I know it will be known by their fruit? Because Jesus said, love one another. The first fruit is love, and without love we have nothing, so none of the other count. The first fruit is love. A new command I give unto you. Get a bigger building. Get a better worship team. Preach better. If that was going to help, North America could, should have been saved 5,000 times every year. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. How? As I have loved you, because by this 
Well, all men know the church that Jesus Christ is coming back for is a church that is in love with God and in love with each other and through that in love with the world because Jesus loved and God loved the whole world. Love one another as I've loved you. And I can't do that on my own. I can't do that without time with God. And I've been there so often. I get up, my phone rings. Being a pastor of a church, I love it. It's a privilege. But my life can change in one phone call like it did last night. Eight o'clock, we're starting to chill out. Thelma's in hospital. That's a whole night. Kids slide off the road in Alberta this week. Family in this church. Car totaled. They're okay. Again, another thing. Praying and all of that. And don't feel sorry for me. I love it. I love what I do. But the point is, I can think by doing all of that stuff, I've spent time with God. And maybe if I spent more time with God, a lot less of that stuff would happen. We're trying to help God help out. My business is bad. I'll help God out. My family's, I'll do it. I'll do it. The church needs this. I'll do it. God must just sit there and laugh. With a big smile on his heart. Because he loves. He said, well, I'll just have to wait till he hit rock bottom. Because you're obviously not listening now. And when we hit rock bottom and we cry to God, he comes like that. We can be in the worst place. We can have done the worst stuff, the prodigal. We could be at the worst of the worst. And all we have to say is, God, help me. And his presence, have you ever felt that? Bang! It fills the room. It fills you just like that. When you look back, I didn't deserve that. I deserved the opposite. But God wants relationship. And sin destroys physical relationships and spiritual relationships. It's not possible. And so this year, I want you to please pray, what do we want to be known for? What do we want to be known for? And as that fills your heart, and we start giving it away. I'm not trying to build the biggest church in the name or what. I don't. I want to fill every life-giving church in the city. There's 90-something, let's say 100,000 people in the greater area, and 4% of the city goes to church. That means we could have 96 more churches of 1,000 each in my books. How big's your church? I don't know. I don't really care. Do you love Jesus? And if somebody gets saved and they live away from here and they can't get this church, it's not about building here. There are good pastors, good churches. You know, a new Christian has a more chance of walking to a place close to them than driving the other side of town. Let's open our hands. Help. Seeing the university students here doing such a good job uh, there on, on the campus. We've got people that uh, are doing such a good job in the city with Youth for Christ and for all of these things. They're not competition. 
Let's honor one another here. Let's honor the city. Let's honor the leaders. Let's speak good of each other, good, good of the city. And I tell you what, those thousands will come. They will come because they'll be drawn in by the only thing that can ever sustain them and draw them, and that is the love of God. So Father God, if you'll, if you'll bow your heads and we're going to worship just a little bit. Or maybe a long time. I don't know. I just pray and I break a spirit of condemnation in the mighty name of Jesus. For there's now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. No condemnation. God loves you. No regrets because of your past, because there's no future in your past. Give it to Him. Trust Him. Trust Him for where you are. Trust Him for your children. Trust Him for your finances. Trust Him for your family. Trust Him for yourself. Trust Him. And just as the presence of God is in this place, if you'll make space for Him in your home, even put on a worship CD. And let me tell you, get worship music that exalts Christ. And you can experience this in your own very home every morning. Dig a well. Come, Holy Spirit, come bring healing, bring restoration. Counseling's not going to do it, although we need good counsel. It's counseling that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Break chains right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Fear, anxiety, guilt, condemnation. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Break those chains over people's lives. Break those fears, Lord, of trusting you in the mighty name of Jesus and bring healing. Bring healing. You say in Ezekiel, you will sprinkle clean water on us and you will make us clean. Cleanse us today by the power of your Spirit. Rain upon us. And you'll remove a heart of stone, you say. Where our heart is stony, Lord God, I pray. We cannot remove it ourselves. Remove that and place a heart of flesh. In our hearts right now, by the power of your Spirit, that will soften, that will soften to you, that will soften to your Spirit. Remove those things. Create in us a pure heart, Lord. As we worship you, Holy Spirit, break chains and set us free today. And Lord, put a hunger and a thirst for us in your presence that it will become a daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. That's not food only. Jesus, the bread of life, wants to come and fellowship with you daily. And me.